Welcome to the Group Practice Exchange Podcast, a podcast for psychotherapy group practice owners. I'm your host, Maureen Warbach. This episode is sponsored by my membership community called The Exchange. The Exchange is a membership website that has group practice business development resources. It has pre-recorded trainings every month, live Q&As by myself and three other experts in the field so you can get your one-on-one questions answered, Facebook live trainings, accountability groups, and expert interviews. We've got a ton of resources and new things are added to the library every single month. Learn more and sign up at www.members.thegrouppracticeexchange.com forward slash exchange. See you in there. Hey, everyone. Maureen Werbach at the Group Practice Exchange is here. And today I'm interviewing Katie Vernoy from Evolve to Thrive Consulting. Hi, Katie. How are you? Good, good. How are you doing, Maureen? I'm doing well. So this is actually our second time, well, third time between the both of us together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, we have a lot to talk about, and I feel like every time we talk, we we think of another area that would be really fun to um, to do some interview style discussions. So I'm really excited today. I think that the people listening are going to be uh, getting a ton of value from today's discussion. So I'm really excited about it. Me too. And thanks for having me. Yeah. So today our discussion is going to be about um, how to identify your group practices needs when it comes to hiring clinicians, as well as, um, you know, this is kind of your expertise, but also identifying a recruiting strategy so that you feel like um, you're organized and that you know who you're looking for and how to onboard and all of that. So I'm, I'm really excited to get this discussion going and giving, you know, all that value that you have in this area to everyone. Oh, thanks. Awesome. So let's get started. Tell me a little bit about, well, let's start with you and what you do in your consulting business, because obviously this is your area of expertise. <laughs> Give a little bit of uh, background about you and what you do and um, how you help people in this area. Oh, okay, great. Uh, I'm... I'm a consultant and kind of a, in some ways, a management consultant for helping professionals. I help them to identify ways to set up systems, hire people, and and get their businesses more kind of streamlined and structured so they can continue to, to uh, scale up. I think oftentimes we get started and we kind of do everything ourselves. We kind of keep going forward and oftentimes it's pretty inefficient. And so when we're able to identify systems and and people to delegate things to, and then we can continue to grow, it can be very wonderful, but can be overwhelming if you're not sure what you're doing. And so my background is actually, I was, I was in uh, public mental health and I... That was what I did. I was a manager. I created systems. I hired people. I, you know, I put things together to really help make uh, clinicians' lives easier. And so, using that uh, that knowledge as well as when I went out on my own, I became a recruiter and have done a lot of of searches for not just clinicians but also executives and looking at how do you really refine a recruiting process so that you can make it uh, effective as well as not takes all of your time because <laughs> that that is huge when you're a group practice owner, right? Like your time becomes so minimal. And so to try to think about hiring somebody can be really overwhelming. And I think we're in this fun, I shouldn't say fun, but interesting position <laughs> <laughs> because um, we aren't, most of us aren't um, executives or leaders by trade. Mm-hmm. We're clinicians and then we decide to go the route of becoming business owners. And so we, we really lack those skills 
Um, mm-hmm. And so I think in our industry, we need it even more so than, than more other people because we just don't get that training um, before we jump into it. And so a lot of us end up, like you said, using way too much time um, making decisions that don't go with our larger vision for our group practice. Mm-hmm. And so this is where I think, you know, having someone like you around can really help us hone down much quicker and, mm-hmm. um, you know, break away at, at all the steps that we're taking and really refine it down to those important steps. Oh, for sure. For yeah. sure. So in, in, in talking about that, what, how do you, when you typically work with someone, how do you start identifying with them what they actually need? Like what kind of things would you ask them? What kind of things should group practice owners be thinking about to start to figure out what it is that they actually need? Because obviously we all know we need therapists, but mm-hmm. um, how, how deep should we be going? Well, I think even kind of to, to push back a little bit on that first question, it may not be that you need therapists right away. I think if that's part of your bigger vision, I think that's the way you should go. But it could be that you need office assistance. It could be that there's something else that you need before you really get uh, therapists. And so the first step is really identifying what is the bigger plan? How How is the how is this going to move you forward? So is it you have a ton of referrals? What kind of what kind of uh, setup are you going to want to have? And if it's more referrals, do you want to, to streamline your systems? Do you want to add some office support so that you can take a little bit more of those or be able to manage people, manage clinicians when they come in? And so it, the first assessment really is how structured, how streamlined is your business? Because if you're going to bring people in, you need to to make sure that they can kind of seamlessly come in as much as people can. Right. <laughs> um, but, you know, can they seamlessly come in and, and start working? Because the longer you have a clinician who's not seeing clients, the longer you're paying someone for time that, you know, potentially paying someone for time that, you know, you're not getting money for. So I think it's making sure, you know, is your business set up in a way that you can bring people in and are there things that you're doing that you shouldn't be doing? So that's the first step. As far as bringing clinicians in, I think it it comes down to looking at what type of a practice you want. Um, I know you've talked about this a lot, so I won't go into it a whole bunch. But as far as, you know, do you want a practice that's going to be kind of single treatment focused? Are you Do you want a multidisciplinary kind of approach to it where you've got clinicians doing different things? You know, having a clear vision clinically what you want to provide and then actually doing an assessment of yourself and who who you want to manage or if you would rather, you know, bring on kind of associates who will be licensed clinicians kind of helping with the load. So I think the first thing is really deciding what's the vision for the practice in addition to is it set up so that you can bring people on? Is it streamlined? Are things in place that you can effectively make that transition? Um, I, With you saying that, I feel like it kind of goes along with what I, um, I just did a webinar on Tuesday, this past Tuesday, I think. Mm-hmm. What day are we on? Thursday. Um, and uh, it was all on business planning for group practice owners because Mm -hmm. it is an area most of us one don't write a business plan not that I think that we need to have this very detailed Mm -hmm. business plan but I think a lot of times we think we know what we want but if we were to put it down on paper we realize we want way too many things that actually don't go together and you have to start like taking up taking away some of those things that don't actually um match with what your vision for your group practice is. And I, I feel like I use myself a lot in this because I'm one that has all these ideas and then mm-hmm. I'm going to do this. I'm going to hire this. And I'm going to have this. And then, <laughs> and then when I take a step back and I actually write it down, I'm like, there's no way I can do all of these things. Yep. These things don't even go with what my group practice is all about. Yeah. Where am I going with this? And so yeah. um, I think it kind of goes with what you're saying. 
in that, um, you know, maybe having this written plan down also then helps you figure out these first steps in rec- potentially recruiting a, a person to your practice. For sure. I think I think that's exactly right. I, I talk about it like making decisions like a boss. You want to be bold and have all those ideas and get really clear on your big vision, but you also want to be objective. And I get so excited about my boss acronym. It's bold, objective, selective, and strategic. Isn't I that love awesome? It. <laughs> Um, but you want to get bold and have those great ideas and think about the big vision. But then you have to be really objective. Is it the right time? Do I have the financial resources? It, do I have the time? Not even just as a timing proper, but it, do I have the right? T- it, do I have the time to do it? And do I have the energy? Because we can have time, but not energy. Because there's things that, especially becoming a boss and becoming, um, you know, kind of a supervisor potentially for the first time. That's a huge emotional transition, you know, having someone rely on you for income, but also potentially having someone rely on you for their professional development. That's a huge responsibility to undertake. And so you want to make sure that you're really thinking about where you are in your own developmental process. And if there is, you know, a consultant that you can go to, are you getting the the training and the support that you need to, to take on that role? That can be hugely important. And so I think being really, you know, having the big vision, but then actually narrowing it down and being really selective on what do you do now? <laughs> right. That's a really good point. Um, and so in, in kind of moving forward with that, how, how would you suggest identifying a, a recruiting strategy then? So let's say we, you figure out your, t- your needs for your group practice that mm-hmm. you want to hire, I don't know, let's just say um, a, you're a multi-specialty practice. And so you're now looking for a couples therapist because that's what your mm-hmm. community says that, that it needs. So you know that the community needs one. Um, it, w- it goes along with your vision. So you've kind of figured out what you need someone that's fully licensed who has some specific training mm-hmm. or um, EFT or something. And um, now how do you put together a recruiting strategy so that you're making the right decisions and taking the right steps to finding that ideal clinician? The first step, I think, is really making sure that you have a clear idea of what the job description will be. Okay. And I think being able to get a really good job posting. I think the, the, they're not exactly the same, like a job description that's going to go into an employee file or a contractor file or whatever is not necessarily the same exact thing as a job posting. But you want to be clear on what that person's going to do. Is the person part-time? Are they full-time? Are they a contractor? Are they an employee? You know, we can get in, we can go into the weeds here, so I won't do that. But I think it's getting really clear on what it is that you're looking for and, and what the deal breakers are. So if you really want a Gottman therapist, make that part of the, the plan. If it's somebody that you want somebody that's well-trained and certified in one of the, the accepted models, then you can be a little bit broader, but you have to be clear what, what actually are the deal breakers because you want to rule out people as early as possible if there's deal breakers. And you, so you, when you saying that is something that I've noticed a lot of people talking about when they post their stuff on Indeed and get like 300 people. Uh-huh. And, um, and I've, I've mentioned that I have on my, um, my job posting, it, like you said, is different than my job description that uh, in my offer letter that people sign. Um, my job description is so, so clear. And sometimes people are like, that's, you know, you have a lot of expectations. And mm-hmm. for me, I feel like after doing this for so many years, I know exactly what I want. I don't want to waste my time interviewing people. Yep. That I, know I, want. I don't want pr- provisionally licensed people. And for some reason, even if I write 
fully licensed LCPC, LCSW. That is all in my state. Uh-huh. Like I want, yeah. I still get provisionally licensed. I will soon have my LCPC. And the second part of my um, job posting says must be uh, fully licensed for at least five years because I don't hire mm-hmm. newly licensed, uh, fully mm-hmm. licensed people. Um, but I also say that I require a cover letter and, um, a resume and I'll just delete them if they don't even send a cover letter. And people are like, well, what if they just didn't notice? And they're really a great therapist. And to me, I'm like, um, if they didn't notice, they won't, don't have the attention to detail that you probably want. Yeah. And I think it's, it's something where that's such a good point. Cause I think the thing that I find is people are, are wanting to be very inclusive, <clears throat> excuse me, but people are wanting to be very inclusive with who they're bringing in. And that's exactly the wrong strategy. Yes. You want to make sure that people, that you're being very selective, because if you're not, you're going to spend time on those 300 resumes. <clears throat> and so I think the big piece is identifying exactly what you want. And I even actually go farther in my recruiting strategy. They have to have a cover letter. They have to have a resume and they have to complete an application. And the application isn't like, oh, you know, like recreate your resume. The application is laden with the deal breakers. And I try to make them yes, no questions so people can't explain them. Because if it's a a no, I don't care. And so I actually create an application in SurveyMonkey and it, it would say, have you been licensed for five years? And if it says no, I look at nothing else. I look at this survey first. I look at the application first because I don't want to waste my time on somebody that might be wonderful because I'll break, it'll break my heart. I fall in love with people too fast. And so for me, it's one of those things where I want to have some... If somebody's not going to meet the requirements, I don't want to look at anything. And so I make it, I make it a multi-step process. I do actually post uh, the job posting on Indeed and try to be very clear. But yeah, people are going to apply even if they are not even qualified or marginally qualified. And there's ways on Indeed to actually get them to opt, you know, to kind of opt them out there where they don't qualify. But I also put a line in the bottom saying, we will not look at anything until you've completed the application at this link. And so I'll get, you know, maybe not 300, but you know, you get 50 50 applicant, 50 resumes, people applying through Indeed, and then you get 10 people who fill everything out. And that's much more manageable. And it's the people who have the attention to detail you probably want. And potentially, they're the people who really want the job. Some people are just mass, you know, mass applying. And so the people who are really looking and, and all of that stuff. And it can be really helpful to to look at that that application first. I try not to look at anything until I see the application because then I can see what are the yes, no questions. And then I can get a little sense of who they are because oftentimes people don't have someone else write their application. They'll write the quick answers to, you know, tell me a little bit about your training with Gottman, for example. And so you kind of get to see a little bit of their personality and then I can get a better sense of them versus, you know, a lot. there's a lot of templates for cover letters there's a lot of people that have someone else write their cover letter. And so for me, having that application is gold. Now, if they don't fill it out, then, you know, they don't fill it out. And then they, I don't have to look at it, you know? And they, might, <laughs> and they may be a great therapist, as a lot of people would say to this, because I feel yes. like so many people that are like, we need to give chances. And, you know, uh, you might be missing this great therapist by being so strict. And um, when when I hear this, I always think, you know, I may, they may be an amazing Mm -hmm. therapist, but, uh, if they can't do, you know, I feel like people do their absolute, absolute best in the beginning, you know? Mm -hmm. And if, if they can't get the basics done, which is just read my whole explanation, my, my whole job posting that also says to fill out this form, um, or 
have a cover letter, I feel like if they're already missing out in the beginning, mm-hmm. then um, there's there's a likelihood that they're going to you know be even worse off later on. And so, yeah, yeah. And I think I think it goes to I think a common concern that I have with a lot of clinicians in private practice is that they are looking only at the clinical and not the business or or the the kind of workplace staff. We're not just hiring great therapists. We're also implying uh, we also are hiring people who are either employees or contractors. There's another piece to it. They're not just a clinical machine. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you know, they have to be able to you know, kind of stay with the, with all of the instructions, all of the pieces of the job. And so that's the other piece that you want to do is really look at what are the pieces of the job, what's going to make someone successful. And if one of the pieces that it's going to make them successful is the ability to use technology, for example, or the ability to do solid documentation or timely documentation, you can start assessing some of that stuff based on how you set up your recruiting process. Because, I mean, that's one thing as therapists we're pretty good at. We can assess people. And right. so if you design your recruiting process to assess people for those those characteristics, then you're getting a lot of information before you start talking with them because we are designed to join and build rapport. And so as soon as we start talking to somebody... Most likely, not with everyone. Obviously, we're not indiscriminate. We, we don't, most of us don't have attachment issues, but like we are going to start connecting with somebody and want to find a reason to hire them versus trying to find a reason not to. Mm-hmm. Because, because it's when you make a bad hire and, and not necessarily like, oh, an evil hire, but like you make a hire that's not exactly right. It's so much more work. It feels awful for both of you. And so being able to design the process so that you're really limiting the number of people that you start connecting to, it really helps it in the long run. And so remembering you're not just hiring a great clinician. You're also hiring somebody who's going to be working for you and you need that those things to be assessed as well. I think that's important. But but I'm not totally heartless. I do actually, when they, when they send in their resume and cover letter, I do send back, I have my assistant send back an email that says, thank you so much. We've re- received your resume and, and cover letter. Before we look at any of your materials, you need to fill this out. So I give them another prompt. Okay. So for, <laughs> I'm not every, to- for everyone who's about, who is about to say like writing you off and what you're saying, <laughs> because they feel like they need to give chances, here's where you can do it. That's a great yeah. idea. Oh, and, and it's giving them a chance. It's, give, it's starting the conversation. And even with that, you know, there's still a lot of people who don't fill it out. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. So job description, job posting, what else is important uh, when it comes to the recruiting strategy for you? So I usually, like I said, I look at the application first. Then if the application looks good, then I'll look at the the resume. I, I always joke with with job seekers that I help that very few people read cover letters. And I, you know, I think it's just something where there <laughs> there there's something where we we think that we're going to, but they're so boring. Yeah. And and the only time I read cover letters is if it's like weird or if there's something that I want an explanation for on the resume. So if there's a huge work gap, if there's, you know, some interesting experience, then I might go look at the the cover letter, but I want a cover letter because I want them to follow instructions. And a lot of places do, because it's like, okay, show some respect, send a cover letter, but I usually don't read them uh, unless there's something weird. And so, so once I've done that, then I actually do a phone screening. And, and I actually am thinking about doing more of a Zoom, like a video conference screening, because having people drive somewhere at this point isn't really necessary, but it's also my time too. If I'm, if I'm on a phone screening, I've got, 
you know, I can spend 30 minutes and really get a good sense of a lot of different things. And so the phone screening is going to be different for different people, but even just getting a sense of who they are. So I only really choose folks that absolutely meet the requirements, who seem interesting, who maybe have some stuff I might want to ask questions about, but I'll, I'll, I'll set them up with the phone screening. And in truth, as, I, as you noticed before, I did say my assistant is sending stuff out. And if you're first starting, you may not have an assistant. So you can have an autoresponder send back, like here, fill out this application. And I use, a, I use Acuity, but other people can use other scheduling things. So people can schedule into my calendar. So I'm not going back and forth trying to schedule a phone screening because I think one of the most important things is make this as efficient as possible. Look at, look at as few applications as possible and spend as little time as possible trying to schedule things because that's going to eat into your time. So I send them a scheduling link and I have set, you know, I set up a template for the phone screening. So I'm asking each person the same questions. I give myself flexibility to ask additional questions like, Hey, where are you working now? It seems like your resume is out of date or, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, and oftentimes it's all oh, I'm not working. <laughs> um, you know, I just graduated or I did this or I did that just depending on the type of position I'm looking for. But but I try to make sure that I'm asking a lot of the same questions so that I get a good baseline for everybody and I actually score them. I kind of feel like the sco- you know, scoring can be more or less uh, <laughs> objective. And I kind of do it so that I can c- remember because depending on how many applicants I have, I can, I can end up doing 10 or 20 phone screenings. It just depends. And this is when I'm recruiting and I don't do as much recruiting anymore. But you know, if I'm doing some due diligence for a group practice owner, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm really looking and giving people chances to, because I want to find the right match. But, um, but if, if you're doing it for yourself, you know, really limit it to the folk, the top candidates. And then if you need more, you can always add some more phone screenings later. But during the phone screening, I try to get really, really clear on assessing some clinical skill, some interpersonal skill, so that I have a good sense, is this somebody I want to meet in person? Because each time you bring it closer, <laughs> you're more and more likely to fall in love and want to offer them a job. So you want to make sure you're only getting the top people in the room with you. And so through that, I, I, I look and find the top candidates that can come in for in-person interviews. And, and then that, that really becomes... Um, and I use the scheduler for that too, just because it's a lot easier, a lot more streamlined. And then you know, really identifying how do I assess, is this the person who's going to be the right fit for the practice and designing questions in that way? Um, I think that you bring up some really good things with the um, phone screening. And I do that as well. And I know that was something that, you know, people are talking about now that it's being brought up of not just Mm -hmm. going straight into the interview process. And I feel like for me, it's um, that I have noticed that people will say yes to the things that I need. Mm-hmm. but not necessarily actually meet the requirements. Like I've had people click yes for fully licensed, but then they, uh, when I talk to them, I find out that they are not fully licensed. They're provisionally licensed. Mm-hmm. And for some reason they click the yes button. Or if I need someone who works weekends, they'll say yes. But then when I talk, they say, well, I can do you know one of the two, or I can only do for two or three hours on a weekend. I might not be able to do all of them, or there's some kind of stipulation mm-hmm. in it. And um, I find that when I first started my group practice for the first couple of years, I was always doing in-person interviews after, and I'd be so disappointed. I'm actually the opposite of what you say is the norm, because I find reasons to not hire people all the time. <laughs> um, and I think that's just because I feel like people don't are not completely transparent. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I try to be as transparent as possible in my hiring process. And um, so I get really frustrated when people come in. I'm like, oh my God, I just waste an hour of my time. And, you know, mm-hmm. one, I'm, I'm um, 
a people pleaser in some ways. So I don't just <laughs> cut the, you know, cut the interview short and say, Oh, you don't meet the, you don't meet the requirements. Let's yes. go. I like go through the hour and I'm like thinking the whole time, why <laughs> did I do this? So it, I've been it, there. Yeah. So for the past <laughs> few years, I've been doing the phone interviews first because I literally pretty much use that to see one, do they, can they hold a conversation with me? Because that they need to be able to do that with their mm-hmm. clients if they're awkward and odd and not having a hard time connecting with me over the phone. Yeah. Is there's going to be some communication issues um, to some degree, but also I use it really to like hone down on all of my non-negotiables and just make sure um, because if I hear hesitation in their voice or it's a little bit harder for them to, to lie. Um, yeah. Obviously people can still pass through and say they'll do something. I, I once had someone who um, I hired just for weekends and she, she lasted about a year before, uh, and throughout that year, pretty much worked maybe one to two weekends a month. Um, oh, wow. and had all these reasons why, Oh, my clients canceled or whatever. Um, and so there's a learning process. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, screening on the phone is one really good way to not waste your time or theirs before yeah. meeting with them in person. Yeah. I think the point that you made about the non-negotiables, that's the thing that I really dig into on the phone screenings as well. And oftentimes it's a scheduling piece. Isn't that strange? Like people will say, yeah, I can do evenings and weekends. And then you actually like, I, I dig in deep, you mm-hmm. know, and I used to, when I was first hiring people, I would try to make the job appealing so that people would want to work for me. Yeah. And, um, and, and now it's like, no, I'm going to show all the warts of the job as well as all the beautiful pieces about the job so that the person's actually knowing what they're opting in for. Because if you don't say, let's really dig in. So, you know, you're going to need to do evenings and weekends. Is that, is that possible for you? You know, do you have the setup? Is that, you know, is that available for you? And the ones, the strongest ones are people who've actually kind of talked through the logistics of it and said, you know, they'll say, well, you know, I, I actually have worked, you know, at different kind of shift work and, and the weekends are totally fine for me. I like having days during the week off and, you know, like people who start actually talking about it feels a lot stronger to me, but there's some people that are like, oh yeah, no problem. And, and I, dig in further and say, okay, well, let, what, what does that look like? What is your expectation? These are the specific hours. Can you do these specific hours? And oftentimes I think people appreciate it because too often it's like, well, and then maybe you can do something different later on. And oh, but you know, if you get into that conversation, it, it actually sets everybody up for failure because there's unrealistic expectations of the job. And so laying the job out warts and all is the strongest way to get people who are going to come in. They're opting into it before it even before they even start. I love that. I wrote this down because I, it's going to be one of the <laughs> things I highlight, <laughs> but showing the works of the job. That's such a, yes. great, um, a great concept. Okay. So job description, job posting, phone screening, anything else that's important um, that you would put into this uh, recruiting strategy before actually making a hire? I think it's something where there's, depending on how your practice is set up, if it's really you're hiring some associates, pre-licensed associates to supervise, they're going to be interacting with you. They may interact with some other associates. So so that may or may not uh, be something where you need to worry about the fit with the team. But I think if you've got a larger group practice where people are working together, running groups together or sharing clients, or if there's, you know, really team setup that you've put together, it can be nice to add a group, uh, you know, uh, an interview with the group. And I think that really should only be for people that you really think that you're going to hire unless there's something crazy that happens with the other group members. Um, I've had some some clients who will bring them into a group supervision, see how they participate there. Um, I've had people where they've had, you know, a second 
in-person interview uh, with one of the the people that's going to be on the team to kind of get another perspective. But I think that's really the only other piece that I would add at this point. I mean, I think it's different for each practice, right? Each person has something different to look at. But I think, you know, thinking about the fit with other other clinicians or, or other people in the practice can be important depending on what your group practice looks like. I think that's, I think that's a great um, idea. And also if you have, like I have a clinical director, the person, the people that we hire, they'll have an interview with me and with them. And actually they'll, they'll first have an interview with my clinical director. Mm-hmm. And if she feels like this person's a good fit, she'll then move them along to me being the last interview. And mm-hmm. then, um, you know, Lauren, my clinical director will let me know any concerns that she had that um, she thought of maybe after the interview process. And then yeah. I'll kind of have that last ability to to check in on those things as well as get my own perspective as a business owner and mm-hmm. not as a, as a clinical director. So I, I like that idea, especially if there's um, group practices where the clinicians, like you say, are really collaborative is having mm-hmm. some sort of group um, interview so that the clinicians, because clinicians have a whole different experience being in the group practice yeah. than I do. And so um, it's also nice for the potential or uh, the candidate to be able to also then ask questions that they might not feel comfortable asking, you know, in the interview process with you as the Mm -hmm. business owner of, you know, what's it like working here? Are there things that work well for you? Things that I, you know, you wished you would have known that kind of stuff. And so Mm -hmm. I do think that that's also for larger practices. I think, you know, when you, when you're a small group practice, it may not be something that you need to, to do, but especially for larger practices. Um, do you, as a, as we're wrapping up, do you have, what's like one, and it could be more if there's anything else, but like one takeaway that you would want people to have with this whole conversation that we have had with recruiting your, uh, clinicians, something that they can take away, like a top piece of advice or the one thing they should be doing, um, or just a piece of advice. I think the thing that I find most important and frequently doesn't happen for people who are either stepping into a group practice or adding more clinicians to a group practice is they don't value their time enough. And so I kind of said this all the way through, but I think the more that you can streamline the process, the the less that time that you're spending on the recruiting process, the stronger you're going to feel uh, when you get to the end of it. Because Facing a recruiting process can feel very daunting, but if you have it very structured and you know that you're really sorting through properly, it feels great and it doesn't have to take a million hours of your time. Certainly, there's going to be stuff that does take time. It's not, it's not time, you know, it's not, I don't know, it's not like it's no time, but I think it's that piece of really finding ways to make it as efficient as possible because I've seen people where they, their recruiting process basically takes over their whole time. And it's because they're, you know, they're chasing down people for phone screenings, they're reading all the resumes and cover letters, like they're doing all of this stuff. And it just is a huge time suck. And it makes it more overwhelming than it needs to be. And so the really the planning process up front to get really clear on your non negotiables slash deal breakers, you know, making sure that you're really screening those out in a way that doesn't require really any of your time, you know, making it a click box on Indeed. So Indeed doesn't even show you that they've applied (laughs) unless you dig in, you know, making it a click box, a yes, no question on an application. If they get that to that point, making sure that you've got, you're using automated systems whenever you can to, to structure your time, to, to get, to, to, you know, get the applications and that kind of stuff so that you're really almost landing with, you know, here's 10 applications to look at. And then from those, I need to sort them into 
phone screenings and then into final application, you know, final interviews. I think the, the more you can honor your time and your vision by having it really clear up front, not just saying, I need to hire a clinician. Let me put out an ad and let me start telling everybody in my local networking group and then getting the hundreds of resumes that you're going to get, you know, taking some time to structure it up front. So it doesn't take a lot of your time and you make a smart hire, uh, efficiently. I really like that. Um, thank you so much. If people want to reach out to you, how can they do that? Well, I've got my katievernoy.com website and that kind of links to all the different things that I do. I also uh, am on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, all those good things. Um, and I, you know, I've got lots of places all over the, all over the place. And uh, yeah, so I guess katievernoy.com leads you everywhere. <laughs> awesome. Perfect. All right, guys, thank you for tuning in and listening. I will see you later. Thanks for tuning in to the Group Practice Exchange Podcast.